0: Welcome to Making Conversations, a podcast from makers Jimmy Millen and Robin Goldway.
1: Today, we are making conversations with goldsmith Tanya Ireland, who is based in Newcastle, County
0: Down. Today, with us, we have the amazing Tanya Ireland. Full disclosure Tanya and I studied together, so I'm sorry if there's any in jokes, but lovely to have you with us, Tanya. Thank you very much, Robin. Yeah, it's lovely to be back. Yeah, we'll get started. So can you tell us a bit about yourself, Tanya, and how you started off and your childhood and all those big questions?
2: Yeah, it's very deep, so it is, Robin, to start. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so I'm, uh, my name's Tanya, and I'm from Newcastle and County Down. I'm the oldest of four girls in a family with six, so as a child, I don't know whether I really was creative or not i'm not too sure about that not in the sense that i would sit down and make jewelry at all but we live by the sea we live literally just across the road from the sea for the first 11 years of my life and we were constantly playing on the beach and using our imagination and making things i suppose but you know what i always think i hated lego as a child which always really surprises me as a maker like should I not have loved Lego? It always <laughs> springs to mind. Like my like daughter, she absolutely loves it and could just sit there and play with it for ages. And it used to always just do my ends. So I don't know where that came from. Yeah, so we would have drawn and everything, but it wasn't a massive part of my life. I suppose I was encouraged to play a lot of sports and was quite academic. Looking back, my father owned his own building and contracting company and uh, my mother worked with him in the family business as well before she became a teacher he was very much design orientated i suppose that has influenced me he was like people come up to me in the street today he's now semi-retired but people that he had renovated their houses for would just have said how much of a perfectionist he was. And I suppose maybe that's rubbed off a bit on me. And I know my parents always pushed me to do the best that I could. So I suppose maybe that's why it's led me down this path that I've decided to take. Yeah, so... Going through school, I studied art as GCSE and got the highest grade in my year. So I suppose I must have been doing something right. (laughs) Yeah, so that was it. actually was a self-taught GCSE because I clashed with media studies and I liked the two of them. So I done that. I was up against the same conundrum for A level. And I just thought at that level it was too much of an ask. So I decided to drop art and kind of left it there really uh, for a few years. I studied English politics and history for A-level and then went on to study public relations for my first degree in Jordanstown, University of Ulster. After that there, I got a job as an event organizer for a peace building charity. So I would have organized public and corporate events and traveled all around the UK with that, uh, organizing cycling events for hundreds of people and golfing events and and loads of different things, gala balls and you name it. It was a great job and I loved the people that I worked with and everything. But for some reason, I decided in the depth of, of one winter to start making beaded jewelry as a hobby. So I took up my kind of artistic creativeness again and sold the beta jewellery into a shop in Newcastle called Painted Earth. And that started the relationship with, with the shop now that I now own. Um, yeah, so it's kind of, fate had kind of already written itself, maybe back before I'd even realised it. Yeah, so I just started selling it uh, and making beta jewellery uh, just for a bit of crack, really. I ended up getting really bored of it. <laughs> so I did I really loved like I just suddenly just really had this strange love for making jewellery but the kind of beaded side I did wire work and beads and, and all this but it just it was like it wasn't enough like I was still craving something else so I decided it was just before the recession hit that I would chance my arm and go back to apply to go back to university so everybody kind of thought it was a bit crazy because I had a good job and had a nice lifestyle you know Monday to Friday 9 to 5 and then I would get like flown over to England to organize these events and down to Dublin and everything else so I I did have a good lifestyle but there just was something missing so I sold my car and got into university for the second time and really approached the university life in a different way from the first time I think well my first degree was maybe like six hours maximum a week in lectures and I kind of really felt lost in it I just felt really lost within the lectures a big hall of lectures and being expected to know what these what I was learning from a bunch of slides and stuff but it just obviously wasn't for me maybe I've always just found that I'm a hands-on kind of person um yeah so I went to uni for the second time as a mature student uh I was 22 but um I think the time I I I got into the University of Ulster to study foundation and art I really loved the idea of being a fashion designer or a goldsmith so Foundation year really gave me the opportunity to explore both disciplines. And ultimately, I fell in love with jewellery and the jewellery department and the people that were in our foundation year just really clicked. There was this girl called Robin there. <laughs> yeah, we That's really so hit weird. Off. I know, so bizarre. Um, yeah, but uh, it just felt right down in the jewellery department. I love, you had six or eight weeks to, to really hone in and, and design something. And I really liked the potential that it gave you and, and just uh, suddenly just found my passion. And I would have said that, you know, event organizing. I, I loved it, but it wasn't until I actually found my passion that I was like, wow, this is what it really feels like to, f- to feel passionate about something. Yeah. So going into a degree for the second time, really had a different kind of attitude. I had a hungry attitude. I wanted to learn as much as I could and absorb as much as I could. And I think maybe because I'd been out in the, in the big bad world, for want of a better word, I knew what I needed to do to to be successful and to kind of make something of, of myself in a way that would make myself proud and I, I knew that bills needed to be paid and different yeah. things like that as well like so I kind of went in with an agenda really to really work hard and like the first time round is you know you're in the education system, you're just, it's assumed that you'll go to university. And it was great for studying and, and learning, you know, like different life skills. Whereas this time round was much more of a conscious decision. I didn't get any loans or, or grants to go towards fees or anything like that. So my fate was really on my shoulders to determine what way I came out of this and, and how I was going to get myself through it as well. So, um, yeah, that's how I started my journey with jewelry.
0: Brilliant. Well, I know, obviously, having studied with you, you were working so so intensely because you were going between doing your degree doing multiple jobs to pay for fees and everything and I think that was something that I always admired about you was the fact that you just went a hundred miles an hour at all times and uh, we were offered the opportunity to go to finland which we both took which was wonderful but it was so strange then living with you and we're very two very different people and you put up with me well well. but yeah just even seeing you switch off from the fact that you had been working so intensely in so many ways and just having that opportunity to sort of take a moment in finland and do something completely different in how you approached your your work and your making can you talk a wee bit about your Finish
2: experience yeah um just even with you saying that i forgot that i had to actually switch off and relax a bit <laughs> chill out a bit dude. yeah i just i was just so used to to working seven days a week as as anybody who knows in the creative sector that a degree in applied art is if, at least five days a week if you can get into the studio for as long as you can and then i was going home to work friday saturday and sunday between working in a bar and then having a job in painted earth so yeah so it was mad and then going to finland was just an amazing experience and i I suppose i learned a lot from you i would say if people were to look at us and our relationship they would say opposites definitely attract (laughs) (laughs) within our role you know like you're like so much more chilled out whereas (laughs) i was like a sergeant major you know so i learned a lot from you and the Finns of how to to take a step back and to really you know, like look within myself as well. Really looking at like Finland's give you such a good opportunity to look at cultures and like look at mm-hmm. art, like look at my own culture within my personal self, you know, like how I treated myself and, and how I worked was maybe a bit detrimental as well you know going to 24 hours a day rather than taking time to slow down and to really kind of see perspective on things. Finland was great because it pushed me out of my boundaries creatively. I really just have a thing for making rings <laughs> so whatever design I make whether it turns into an earring or uh, a bracelet or a necklace it usually 99% of the time starts off as a ring. I don't know. Why I only really ever wear my wedding band set unless I'm going out or whatever. But I just absolutely love making rings. My tutor banned me for making rings for the whole year, so that pushed me out of my comfort zone straight away and it really pushed me to explore different avenues, which was great. And I really felt like I became a jewelry artist in Finland. Yeah. I made big, like big obscure neck pieces, and suppose like my theme really has always been based on human cultures and societies but i really looked within myself to see like how we can make our vulnerabilities our strengths i really kind of concentrated on that throughout finland and then i think ever since then it really has continued to show throughout my work finland really made me ask a question, you know, like what path did I want to go down? Because it really exposed us to the European jewellery scene. We went to Munich to Schmuck, an international jewellery fair. We met loads of international jewellery artists. We went to exhibitions that we wouldn't have been exposed to otherwise. Uh, we also, our university, hosted a jewellery symposium where internationally renowned jewellers came and, and taught us for a week and really made it, pushed our, us to our, to our limits as well, which was fantastic. And it made me think. Gosh, do I, I'd love to be an artist within the typical sense of making art just for me and with the option to exhibit it and to, not that there's anything wrong with it, but to live off grants in, in a way or to live off mm-hmm. just that would be like my kind of sole focus. Yeah, so it, it, it really made me question what I wanted to do because I, I was so set in knowing what I wanted to do from the start that I hadn't really thought of, of other options.
0: And can you describe the work that you made before you went to Finland, the work you made while you went to Finland and then obviously your degree show afterwards because you work with material in a really beautiful way and it's very much your work, but it's so completely different from what you're doing now professionally
2: yeah so can you describe that visually yeah so I suppose before I went to Finland my work I would have made like a lot of uh, woodwork and Mm -hmm. I would use the lathe everything would have been very smooth well finished like for example if I was using wood it would have been sanded down and polished So basically you could have seen your reflection in it and the same with I know I was making aluminium vessels so I'd use the lathe to turn them as well everything was was made very technically even rings I was very very much into the technical side of making I suppose maybe like the goldsmithing side of making jewelry so you know everything had to be measured perfectly I wasn't into I wanted to solder everything I wanted everything to last forever like I I wanted to make it very meticulously that these weren't just like little maquettes like everything had to be made for a purpose for a particular lifespan so yeah then i went to finland and all that was thrown out the window basically when i started working with plaster plaster of paris and because my theme was kind of focusing on positivity and vulnerabilities and is your hat is your cup half full or half empty was my theme towards the end of finland i was working with plaster filling up plastic cups with plaster and then slapping them together with a bit of wet plaster and making these really cool sculptural pieces and then painting them like really bright colours and using really thick textile rope, I suppose, to hang them on, to hang them around your neck. Um, I also was using rough cut stones and binding them together with thread. So the question was, what became the strength behind the piece? Was it this stick real fine delicate thread or was it the hard rock and it ended up being that the thread represented your vulnerabilities but once you owned them and kept working on them they actually ended up becoming the strength that binded you together so i made like lots of brooches or pins with thread wrapped around rocks to hold them together so yeah so it definitely took a different turn my work was a lot more loose it was a lot more free and then I suppose when I came back to Ireland, I had this like question of right, what what do I want to do? Like and I had to really think about like what kind of lifestyle I wanted to live in a way. Like, did I want to live like a nomadic lifestyle? I suppose it in my head, you know, like did I want to travel around Europe and intern for jewelry artists, or did I really want to focus on my techniques and find goldsmiths to intern with or or to work for or whoever would have me basically to learn the skills. And I suppose again fate dealt its card on the way home from Finland I suppose I'll share that story I haven't really thought about it so yeah I, on my way home I decided oh I'm gonna intern for a, a jewellery artist in Munich in Germany absolutely love Germany and I found this artist was willing to take me on for the summer and uh I decided I wasn't coming home to Ireland for the summer so yeah, got to Munich and had paid my deposit and everything for the flat and this is one of those things guys that you think will never ever happen to you <laughs> but I got to the address where the apartment was supposed to be and it didn't exist so I had been royally scammed and had no money left I had to give up my internship and come home oh but yeah it was absolutely crazy it, I was fine I, I survived I suppose the, the people who were supposed to meet me at the the airport and I had told them my what I was going to look like in hindsight at least I wasn't kidnapped <laughs> Yeah, <I heard laughs> it's been like a Liam Neeson situation yeah. I know oh my <laughs> gosh it was crazy absolutely crazy and it was so funny because my mom and dad are like so practical and Like they supported me whenever I said I was going back to university and everything like that. And yeah, whenever I told them I wasn't coming home, they they were fine about it. And then when this all happened in Munich, my dad was like, yes, stay and it'll sort itself out. You'll get a place to stay and all the rest and we'll get it sorted. just you stay and and do your internship. And mommy on the other hand was like, get home now. So I was in a bit of a pickle because they both just wanted me to, they knew how hard I'd worked and just wanted me to do what was right for me. And I think my dad just didn't want these people to destroy that in a way. But on the same day that this happened, Goldsmith Sarah McAleer had emailed me saying that she was looking for somebody to come and work with her and intern over the summertime. And I just took that as a sign and I said, no, this is my sign. I'm not supposed to be here. I'm meant to be at home. And yeah, I replied to her saying, I'll come for a meeting with you next week. And I got a flight home the next day. And that was the end of my jewellery artist career. <laughs> what happened about that then? Did you get it to the police? Did you get to leave the bottom of it? No, we didn't get to the bottom of it. I went to the police in Munich. They kind of speak very little English, and and I would speak just a wee bit of German. But they just said it happened so often over there that they could just there's that much of it that goes on on a, on a daily basis. These these scams that they just there was no tracing of it. And then I obviously didn't hang about to get it mm. sorted either. It was whenever we got home, my mum and my aunt actually looked up the address again, and they had the exact same apartment on in Spain. So they were oh. still scamming, yeah. Yeah. So it, it was a it was a lesson learned. It was probably like too good to be true kind of thing. It was a lovely apartment and all the rest. But yeah, it was just it was just one of those experiences that you kind of learn yeah. that, you know, you can always be on the receiving end of these things.
0: You were so diligent about it all before you went as well. Like there was nothing it wasn't that you were just being naive and it was like a perfect apartment came up and it really would have been so easy to be like, oh no, that's definitely a scam. It was so legitimate. You it did was so much st- research yeah. and you asked yeah. your thanks before you did it and like everything done down to the T. Yeah, and like so I was that-
2: emailing this supposed girl backwards and forwards you know for weeks and we were chatting and you know like you know things that you would think like why would scammers go to all that bother you know to have chit chats with you and then the next thing they were like no and then the um, address all the streets are like named, numbered, even numbers on one side, odd numbers on the other side Mm -hmm. so they give me an odd number and the street only had even numbers and where the odd number should have been was a park so I went into like a bike shop and the bike person I was like oh Asked them about this address in German and they said no and then they said oh somebody was in yesterday asking about this address yeah. as well and then I was like oh, oh. alarm bells so oh, gosh. did you got your a... job with Sarah, Sarah.
1: Yeah, yeah I got my
2: job with Sarah yeah it was just absolutely crazy like yeah. on the same day I got this email from this girl I'd never known before and um I just thought yeah I'm going I'm going for that like that that's that's my sign
0: <laughs> so you came back to Ireland and you got stuck in doing things a hundred mile a minute again. <laughs> which seems to be your only speed. Can you talk us through how working with Sarah was and going into third year and how Finland shaped the work that you made or if it had any effect yeah. at all?
2: Yeah, cool. So the, that summer before we went into final year, I spent two or three days a week working for Sarah. It was brilliant. I um, worked on her product range and learned an awful lot from her, just from repeating work. It, it really got your speed up. It got, she was very thorough in her quality control. I learned how to solder multiple times and, and grew quite confident with that as well. And, and like you would have been maybe soldering like 10 joints on a box of, of one of her boxes or something like that. So I really learned a lot about keeping calm and breathing and yeah like really learned like the technical process of soldering objects filing i had to file everything up and yeah, finish it to her standard so it was great we had great fun we were actually down her studio at the time was based on project 24 in bangor so in one of the shipment containers from Newcastle. I was driving an hour and 20 minutes every day to get to work. So from one seaside town to another. So I'd never really been in Bangor before. I had no real reason to go because obviously I was in, I had the sea on my own side of, of the country. So yeah, it was great to see a different town. Her style would be different than mine. She is very much interested in the natural forms within frond leaves. And um, she did an, a heart range as well. So yeah, it was great. And then I seen how, she worked with her clients to make uh, one-off pieces for them so I learned a lot from how she met with people and how then she went on to do her designs and and pricing and things like that as well so yeah I, I can't really fault my experience there. I helped her uh, set up for exhibitions. So that was really good. And she did a wee bit of jewelry archie, was probably the first jeweler I knew that had a 3D printer. Mm. So she was interested in printing in, in nylon. So she did a lot of work on that as well. So she was a busy lady too. She had her fingers mm. in, in a lot of pies. So yeah, it was great. And I kept on that working relationship throughout the final year of university. Then still worked a couple of days a week for her. I might have worked four or five days during the summer and then a couple of days, whenever it's back to uni, I can't remember. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it all feels so long ago. So I suppose when I was entering final year with the whole year of Finland being completely about jewellery art and then really just absolutely loving my time in Bangor, really learning about the technical pieces too. So I think I brought the two areas of my interest together for final year. I think by this stage I had decided that I wanted to really become a goldsmith in the sense that I really wanted to go down the technical route of like I really wanted to learn how to set stones and I really wanted to make the settings and really wanted to sculpt metal jewellery. That definitely was what I wanted to work with was, was definitely metal. I also really enjoyed working with other materials in Finland. So I started to work with plastics in third year and really experimented with that. So again, my theme was really about the balance, the hierarchy of jewellery and the balance, the reflection of that in society too with regards to who is wearing the jewellery and who knows whether you're wearing a diamond or whether you're wearing a Swarovski crystal. Who really does know at the end of the day? So I really played on this theme and had a lot of fun. I bought jewellery, fake jewellery some people might call it. It would have been it would have looked like a diamond ring but it was just plastic like a plastic diamond or a Swarovski crystal with like a plated so a base metal maybe like a brass ring that's been plated silver or, or gold to make it look like more much more expensive than what it was so I was playing with this whole sense of, of how do you know what's inverted is real or not real so I made I showcased my technical skills by making Uh, like a large cocktail ring sat on a pedestal on my display for graduation and then had it surrounded by all these what I called sweetie rings so the pick and mix so I had dipped all the shop bought rings in like a plastic and just made them very attractive to people to come and lift and play with and really kind of Made the table kind of interactive. Everybody trying on a ring. Like everybody wants a ring to fit them. You know, like you go on holidays and you really want like the nicest ring to fit you on the stall. And it mightn't, but you still crave to own something from that holiday. Or do you want to, to take a piece of identity, create a sentiment behind a holiday by buying a piece of jewelry and things like that? So that was really what my end of year show was about. People want to take something away from it. And like, what's more affordable? The ring that's I think maybe it was maybe like fifteen hundred pounds or twenty pounds ring or five-point ring whatever it was what can people afford and what does that say about them does it say anything about them so yeah it's kind of like what do you what do you put your identity on
0: yeah and so then once you graduated with a first whoop whoop What did you go on and do after then? What was your next step?
2: My next step was to start my own business. I had already developed a jewellery range that's called Swings and Roundabouts that I now sell in Painted Earth, but at the time I was... that's just what I was gonna do. I didn't own Painted Earth at this time or anything like that. I still I stopped working for them at this point, the previous owners, and was going to go into business by myself. And then I got offered a job with a trading company to become basically an apprentice for making platinum and diamond jewelry that would be sold into retail stores. So I decided to park my own business ideas and went to work for this company. I just thought it was far too good of an opportunity to learn more skill sets, to learn a wee bit more about the commercial side of jewellery and how that really works because I never really got an insight into that before. I'd interned with Garvin trainer and Sarah McAleer and and seen how a goldsmith works but I'd never seen anything mass produced Mm -hmm. you know or like what was the finishing standards like, like I really wanted to learn how to set stones so I eventually was trained in how to set stones as well, set their diamonds for them so it was an unreal experience I would probably still be working there today except I wanted a different lifestyle change, I wanted to live in Newcastle where I'm from the opportunity came up I suppose to to live and work in Newcastle when the previous owners of Painted Earth were retiring they contacted me and asked did I want to buy the shop I jumped at the opportunity because I always eventually wanted my own goldsmithing studio but this gave me the opportunity that I would have a shop front as well and I love other crafts and I love speaking to people. And sometimes, as you know, Gemma and Robin, as a craftsperson, sometimes it can be quite isolating being in the studio Mm -hmm. and and working by yourself all day. So I like to talk to people. I like to, Mm -hmm. (laughs) especially when I'm inspired by culture and society as well, it's really important that I have some kind of insight into what's going on around me kind of thing and what people like and don't like and, and different things like that. So yeah, I just thought this opportunity of buying a really well renowned shop to sell other makers' work was really great. And to have a studio up above that was just a dream come true, really.
0: Obviously, once you bought the shop, you made quite a few changes to it as well and sort of restructured that in a slightly different way. I think the original Painted Earth had like framing behind it, didn't it?
2: Yes, uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, we um, still, still did that for a while. But Brendan, the previous owner, he did all the framing for Painted Earth. And then <laughs> when he retired, we, he still did our framing for us. And then we always joke with him that he retired. He was a fireman before him and his wife opened Painted Earth. And then he retired from being a fireman to owning Painted Earth and being a framer. And then we always joke that he retired for a third time this year when he retired from framing for good. So <laughs> now, now we don't have a framer. So. Uh, yeah. But it really
0: seems to have been very much a family business it's run between you and your husband run it and your sister was involved and an amazing painter Gemma as well was there as well.
2: Yeah that all grew organically so myself and Ray took over. Ray had no experience in the craft sector at all before coming on board he thought like we were mad taking this shop on and and he thought I was I was very happy in Belfast and he didn't think I would want a career change and I didn't until this opportunity presented itself yeah I just thought it was too good to give up so myself and Ray took over and um, we just absolutely love it Orla came on board my sister and worked with us for a couple of years and now she wanted to develop her career in a different way so she she left us just before lockdown actually and yeah we've got Gemma she's amazing she's a painter she graduated in, in painting a couple of years ago, and she works with us four days a week. And yeah, we just have a really great relationship with our employees. Our ethos is to make everybody welcome, to make sure everybody feels welcome in the shop and enjoys looking around it. So we changed the layout of the shop. We just decluttered it a bit, uh, for want of a better word. We just wanted to make it. It's such a small shop, so we wanted to just make it more spacious and more airy and more relaxed for people to come into. Yes, yeah, so we've owned a shop for four and a half years now and we've made quite a few changes to it but yeah so we do we have the shop downstairs and then I trained Gemma became then a goldsmithing apprentice and she now makes the product range it sells into the into the shop which has been great and another learning experience for me to actually have to pass on my skills and to teach somebody how to make which was interesting and it
0: really does feel like such a lovely family vibe so anyone who's listening who hasn't been down to Painted Earth yet call in once it's all safe to do so you guys are open again aren't you
2: yes we're we're open three weeks now we're going into our fourth week so we open Mm -hmm. yeah covid was an interesting one i suppose it gave us time to reflect on the business and especially the jewelry side of it as well like my side of the business and see really what way we want to take that
1: it's really obvious when you've been independent earth that you are incredibly passionate about supporting independent makers and local makers, especially. Would you say that that's came from you being a maker yourself?
2: Yeah, I think so. I definitely have a lot of experience. In it. And I think from working in the shop previously and seeing maybe like what path it was going down before really made me uh, want to turn it around and to really kind of reinforce the support of quality makers within Northern Ireland like I know there's there's quite a lot of people that do it for a hobby we get inundated like every day with people contacting us or coming into the shop with their wares for us to sell and it ranges from like quality that's probably too high end for us to things that that are just too much of a hobby craft and like no disrespecting like that is great and I fully support people to be creative but I just find that if I'm not saying that people have to go to university or anything like that but my thing has always been professionalism and if you're coming to my shop for me to sell your pieces of whether it's ceramics or paintings or jewelry or photography or your cards like I want you to present it to me in a professional way that you're proud of like I want you to have like the best paper you know have your prints printed on the best paper or you know your ceramics you know I want you to you know as pristine it doesn't have to be clinical like Adam Frew's work like we've got Georgie Kerrigan's work and it looks like it's just slopped together but it is unreal (laughs) you know what's been done methodically and you know that there's been a whole process to it you know whereas you can tell if somebody's made that or they've just done it on their kitchen and they think they can make a bob or two out of it
1: does Mm -hmm. that make
2: sense it does I think as well there's an etiquette uh, that isn't really talked about
1: for how makers approach retailers like yourself you know that there isn't necessarily a one-size-fits-all for a lot of people. Would you explain your process then of how you curate this absolutely gorgeous collection of work that you have? I mean do you set out with a theme at all?
2: Yeah so um, if somebody comes into our shop with um, wanting to sell their work to us we would just first of all ask them to email images to us with a little like a small narrative about, about themselves and just basically their wholesale and recommended retail prices, or if it's sale or return, just basically the same, the same thing so that they know what they need to get from their work to make it affordable to them. And we know what price we need to sell it at to make it affordable for us to sell it. And that's basically it. And what we would do on a weekly basis is that we have a meeting and anybody that's got in touch, we'll have a look at their work and see if it fits within our shop. So our shop will be very different compared to the likes of Craft and shop in the regards that we've got different clients, I suppose. We've got a different target market, so we would have a mix of We have a lot, a lot of locals that that really support our shop. So we need to make sure that we are constantly rotating our products and our makers in a way that still excites them to come into the shop. And also we need to still, we have a massive influx of tourism in Newcastle as well, just with regards to the the sea and the mountains and the golf courses as well. So we've got one of the the world's top golf courses in in, uh, Newcastle. So a lot of our work is revolved around the the golf course which is sounds crazy for uh, like an art shop but people come in wanting pictures there's pictures and paintings of just this beautiful course with the sea to the left of it and the mountains to the front of it it's just so idyllic so there's a bit of what we might necessarily like the customers won't, might necessarily not like so i personally like quite contemporary stuff or maybe like a bit alternative work. But I wouldn't be able to sell it in the shop because I know what my customers like. They like a little bit of contemporaneous, but they still love tradition so it's that little mix that you want people to feel like they're a little bit out there but it's still safe and people just go mad for paintings of the Mourn Mountains so that's why we couldn't have a picture of paint splashed up against a canvas with lines running down it which would look absolutely fabulous but people don't re- resonate with that in our shop
0: Yeah,
2: so it's not, we don't really go on a personal liking as such, yes we have to like, we like it to an extent, we, we need to check the quality of it, you know, that kind of way but really you kind of you always have to think of what what would your customer like and the price point as well like our price point it's not too low and it's not too high it's somewhere in in between (laughs) if that makes sense at all so yeah so it's all it's all that you have to take into consideration and yeah just some things you just know won't sell in the shop now like at the start like we got in well, we got in Adam Frew, for example. I'm sure you won't mind me saying this because we absolutely loved his work. But people just weren't prepared to pay for it in our shop. Really just so disappointing. And then in, at the end of it, we had to put a, a half price sale on it and it went like hotcakes. <laughs> so it did, and people were in the shop, going, I can't believe this is going for this price. And I'm like, well, you wouldn't buy it at Phil. You know, <laughs> so it just was a wrong location. That is that and that is all. There's nothing wrong with the design or anything like that or the pieces. And the same thing can happen to you know a lower price item like people don't value it as much so if somebody came to us and we thought maybe their prices were too, too low you know we'd, we'd be telling them to maybe like we think you could, you could get a wee bit more for that, and it just yeah. makes it worthwhile. And, and people value what they're investing in. Then.
0: And so, what kind of services do you offer upstairs? Because it's such a beautiful um, studio. Can I'm you describe? So bad, Robin. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, actually, I really should have about that a bit <laughs> Sorry about that. No, you're um, totally fine. <laughs> but yeah, no, because you've got such a beautiful studio. Uh, pieces of equipment that I've never seen or heard before, which I know you out about through working on a more industrial scale could you tell us a bit about the services that you offer upstairs (laughs) your (laughs) studio and tools and equipment like things you just really love
2: yeah so back to um my happy place as i call it back up to the (laughs) studio (laughs) yeah so when when we first opened or took over painted earth I suppose I opened the studio upstairs and had the basic equipment like a, a jewellers bench and that was it really. Um, I always wanted a studio that had an area for a consultation area as I call it and a design area and then a making area and it all sounds rather princessy because not too many people have it but the space upstairs just really allowed me to set out my studio in that way so when you come up the stairs I have a lovely leather suite with an old coffee table set Nada, and then I've got. So I just like to have a comfortable area where people can come up and feel welcomed, and we can sit comfortably and design the piece, and then they can look over and see the actual workspace. Then within my studio, when I first opened up, I really thought it would take a couple of years for the goldsmithing side of the business to start, but word quickly spread like wildfire around Newcastle and the surrounding areas that there was a goldsmith in town because there's not one that close to me, and yeah, people came. From far and wide to kind of call into the shop, and then I would just be coming down and bringing them up, and there was all very ad hoc. Then I realised that had to change. I needed to get like a like a better system in in order. So, what I offered the service I offered was a was a commissioning service. So. For example, Robin, you you would make an appointment with me then. So Mm -hmm. I organized it that it was by appointment only. So you couldn't just walk off the street and chat to me. And that was one of the bonuses of having like a private studio alongside the shop. So people can come in and and chat about the whole process with my employees downstairs. But they'd have to make an appointment with them to come up and see me or call me to make an appointment. And then they come up and we would have a design meeting. And then I would sketch up ideas for them. And invite them back to give them to present the ideas and a price and then i would get to making so this all happened start picked up really quickly and in amongst it all i was doing repairs and everything as well and i quickly found out that you really needed to, to decide whether you're going to be a jobbing jeweler as it's called where you just mainly do jewelry repairs or modifications or, or whatever it is that, that somebody wants to their existing jewelry or you do commissions so i Decided to specialize in commissions and I then invested in quite a bit of machinery to do that. I have a table that my jeweler's table actually moves up and down rather partially.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Most people's tables don't do it, but with the company I worked with, that's what they um, had and it just really saves your back. And then I invested in a microscope and a, a graversmith, it's called. So it's basically like a like a tiny hydraulic drill that's powered by an air compressor, and I used that setting stones in the company I had previously worked for as well. So that's how I was used to working. Like I was constantly mm-hmm. looking under the microscope in my in my previous employment. So I really find it difficult to work just bare eyed. And um, I always felt like I was missing something, and I just absolutely would be lost without my microscope. Yeah, so they're probably the biggest tools. Then I've got a a plating machine because I don't know whether you've uh, seen the range or not, but one of the ranges in Painted Earth is called Swings and Roundabout. So I went back... And just kept designing that from the university days. Um, And it's just been a great seller for me. But it's uh, silver jewellery. And then I have options of gold plating it and rhodium plating it black. And then gold plating over the top of it again. So these are all processes that required a plating machine. So I've got a pretty big plating bath that that rhodium plate in white, black and yellow gold then. And then I have a large, well, large enough polishing machine then so yeah so that's all equipment and then i've got a slow cooker that i put my safety acid pickle in so you you really have like top of the range equipment right down to like an old toothbrush that I scrub my jewellery clean with
1: <laughs> um,
2: so there is a nice range uh, and people come in and they love to see all all of that and they love to see the tiny drill bits that you use that are not 0.6 millimeters and they can hardly see the, the top of it and then they'll start pointing and, and asking what's this and what's that and everything so it's great for them to see where their jewellery is is produced so yeah that's what that's one of the services I that was the main service I did for like the first couple of years of, of making.
1: Would you have a favourite material to work in then? I mean you, you seem to work quite a lot in silver. Would that be your preferred metal?
2: Definitely not, Gemma, no. <laughs> I love I love working in yellow, gold and platinum. Would be would be my favorite. Yeah. So the product range for the shop is all in silver. And now I've kind of handed that over to Gemma. So she would be responsible for making the the product range. I give her a hand from time to time, but she mainly makes it because I just simply didn't have the time to, to continue making the product range. Like there's a time there that I had maybe like 20 jobs on just consistently throughout the year. Like there wasn't really like a really slow period in the year for people coming wanting pieces made with me. So I just, I just didn't, I was working six days a week and just didn't have time to make the product range. So I realized that like Gemma didn't have any training in in jewelry at all. And yeah, I trained her up to make the, um, the product range and now she probably does it more efficiently than I
0: do. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously your business has been affected by COVID because you've had to close down temporarily for lockdown. How has that been opening back up? and sort of getting back to normal is it something that well, obviously nobody sort of predicted that anything like this is going to happen but how has that been and how are you finding your customers responses to that because of the size of the space and different things you're having to implement for you know employees safety and all that like it must be such a different change because it was such a, a friendly environment to kind of go in and have a chat.
2: Yeah, um, well, I think maybe that was like one of our anxieties about coming back. Like we wanted to make sure that our employees uh, felt safe and Mm -hmm. our guests still felt really safe and welcomed into the shop as well. Like we just didn't want this whole sterile environment to really affect our ethos of the shop. Yeah, we've uh, got Perspex screens up, which don't really interfere with our visuals with customers. Before mm-hmm. um, beforehand, we would have been out on the floor a lot more like chatting to customers, um, you know, and explaining the paintings and things like that. But because our screens aren't too intrusive, we can just do that from behind the screens now. At the moment, we only let four people into the shop, but that seems to be working fine because there's not really at one time, there doesn't really seem to be that more than really four looking into the shop. Mm-hmm. My concern was that we aren't um, necessary shop like you do not need to come into our shop so unlike Tesco's where you're prepared to wait I my fear was that people wouldn't be prepared to wait to come into the shop but contrary to that People have been queuing for a short period of time. Um, yeah, and our shop works really well as a one-way system, and everybody has been respecting that. And people are just so good. Like people like expect to sanitize their hands, uh, and some people take it a bit personally, like as if you're pointing out that they're the only one with germs. But like ev- the whole every the whole world's in this together. So yeah, no, like everybody's been great, and the uh, Gemma so far is the only employee that we've brought back. So she's been great so she has she's felt as far as i know uh she's felt safe and secure and because i know she was anxious before at the start of the breakout so she's more than settled in like you would think that nothing that she'd never been away she's just she's just great so yeah and then um, I suppose with regards to the studio, a couple of years ago, well, I had a daughter, I gave birth to a daughter about just over a year and a half ago. I always thought, like running my own business, I would just be six months on maternity leave and get just back into the swing of things and just kind of put her into to childcare five days a week. But once she arrived, it was a completely different uh, story. <laughs> The whole balance of, of of that probably was a lot more challenging than, than COVID. Now COVID's kind of, the doors are opened again. Well, we're open four days a week now, but that'll soon be going up, up again now, I'm sure. When as laws and restrictions relax a wee bit more and, and we find that business is, is doing okay, then, then that'll all go back together. But with regards to the jury side of things, I decided to postpone making commissions. I just found it too stressful to tell you the truth i absolutely love working with people but it was just the deadline demand that i just couldn't keep up with the amount of work that was coming in so instead now i've taken a bit of a new direction and i offer one day wedding ring workshop packages so couples can come to the studio and spend the day with me making their wedding bands so i've been doing that now for for nearly two years I started that just before Ophelia was born and absolutely love it. So again, the couples come and have a design meeting with me first of all so they get to design what kind of textures they'd like on their rings and what kind of material they would like to use and then they come back on a decided date and actually spend the day in the workshop just with the two of them and making their wedding rings. so it's great crack and it's just from a business perspective it's a lot more easier managed for me and also I'd like to I've started to design my a new a new range under, under a new brand called Tanya Ireland Limited. So I suppose with reflection on COVID, that's really, I've taken that, that opportunity to really kind of hone in on that and develop designs that I want to present under my own brand, not under Painted Earth, and really look towards design and jewellery that I'm proud to put my name on. <laughs>
0: Could you tell us a bit more about your new company, Tanya Ireland?
2: Yeah, so a couple of years ago, I started up a new company, Tanya Ireland uh, Limited, just separate from Painted Earth. I suppose with the birth of my daughter, imminent, I took it as an opportunity to redesign myself as, as a maker. I've always aspired to sell my own designs or make my own designs I didn't always want to make just one-off pieces for clients uh, and working towards their briefs e- each time that I met somebody new I've always thought that would just happen in in the background I didn't realize it would, it would become so popular and so sought after that I didn't have time to make my own design so I just took the opportunity of Ophelia coming along and took that as an opportunity to take a break and to really look at what I wanted to do and to see how I could kind of reinvent myself by having that break away because I find it very difficult. I was just like my commission work was just snowballing and snowballing and it really was at the time no way out for me and i and i loved it which was great but i just thought right if this is if something that i want if i want to design my own collections and create like a high-end range to sell and make readily available for clients then now is the time to do that so i started tanya ireland and i've just been basically researching different things over the past couple of years and really going back to what i love doing and create my own brief so could you tell me a bit
0: more about the inspiration behind this work, the materials that you'll be using and processes and the designs. Do you have set designs that you'll be making?
2: I've always been interested in designing jewellery that resonates with cultures and societies. And I think that's why I really enjoy making the one-off pieces as well which contradicts what I've just said but I think like getting to know people's stories and know people's histories and things like that then I can really reflect that in the pieces of work that I have made them so really that has stemmed on from university practice and is still what I'm very passionate about at the moment making my own collections I suppose gives me the freedom to really see what I personally am interested in so I bought a book called the history of rings over in the Victorian Albert Museum few years back just when we were starting the company off and really loved reading it and just seeing that it was quite mainly men that were wearing the rings for different reasons and things like that and I I do love making jewellery for men as well. I came across the clatter ring and obviously that's very prominent in our history and the different stories that go along behind that so I really took that as a starting point and I really want to reimagine that ring and see what it can how it can look in today's society and what would be my take on it so I've had great fun trying to work out how to separate the three meanings behind the clattering the loyalty the love and the friendship and i've uh designing a range which represents each part of the uh, clatter So that's been really good fun. The materials I'm using for that are primarily gold, nine carat gold. Uh, It can be um, yellow and white. And I've added like a little diamond to the crown part and a little diamond to the to the hands. And then I've left the heart quite simple, so it sits nicely on its own. Yeah. So my thing with rings, especially like so, the the ring uh, set is a set of three stacking rings, so you can buy one ring or you can buy two or three rings a full set then so it was very important to me that each ring could be worn on its own or together as a set so my intention was that people could invest in one piece you know and then build on it as years progress or some people might be fortunate enough to be able to buy one one ring on its own then and then from that I always start with rings so from that I will be designing earrings and bangles and and necklaces as well all being well so that's where that collection is so hopefully different collections will come across throughout the over over the years another i suppose subject area that i've been looking at is strength and empowerment especially within women and just making ourselves Feel good and and there's I suppose I, I was listening to Deborah's podcast there today actually and uh, really kind of resonated with some of her anecdotes that she was saying about you know having being a mother and finding it difficult to have you time and it was very important for her to have you know Deborah Toner her company so that she could still be herself and be a mother and to not lose that and it, it's very easy to I suppose the two of us now have experienced it as being self-employed and as being mothers just Very easy to have an identity crisis, for want of maybe a, a better word. So, yeah, I find that yeah women need to be celebrated and who better to celebrate ourselves than us so I've started to make jewelry that I want people to be conscious of why they're wearing it so it's very functional but it's also the titles of the jewelry make you think why are you wearing it so like one of my rings is called Pride Mary and it's named after the Tina Turner song so I find I find her whole life story very inspiring and she's like what a strong woman to come through everything that she went through physical and mental abuse from her husband to conquering the world, basically, under the same designers really inspired by Mary, the the Virgin Mother of God in Christianity, so it's kind of crazy to put those two ladies together but whether you're religious or not, or whether you're into music or not, most people will know those two women, and yeah for all that, whether you believe or not, the the story of Mary, like what that woman went through and sacrificed, you know, is just I suppose inspiring to some women too just a celebration of women, and then I have a ring that's called my Superwoman ring, so I was introduced to a stone cutting company over in Germany Germany who hand cut their stones Bergfark gems, and he sent me a picture of a stone one day and it's called 21st century and I just thought woohoo you know like 21st century women <laughs> and it's cut to just as soon as I seen it whatever way I seen it I was like oh my gosh that looks like a superman emblem and I was like that's going to be the superwoman ring you put it on and you feel good it doesn't look like a superwoman ring but it's powerful and I find like whenever I first put it on I felt empowered and I felt really confident of wore out to dinner with friends one night and I just felt good. You know, when you put something on, whether it's a wedding band or a chunky piece of jewellery, whether it's a necklace or earrings, you're putting that on for a reason, whether you are conscious to that or not. So I suppose maybe with my jewellery, what I'm doing is enticing people to become a little bit more conscious of their reasons for wearing jewellery. They are available to the public, but I'm still in the middle of building up my stock and going through probably testing rings wearability and sizing and just making sure the stones are set okay and everything like that so I suppose it's it's a new way of making for me because I'm used to making one piece and then going on to a brand new design again and one piece and a brand new design so now I'm really kind of thinking of okay you know what way would one person wear this and what way would another person wear this I don't have the luxury of like I would always bring the clients in for a fitting you know so then They can feel the ring and wear it, or the necklace or earrings, and look in the mirror and see how they feel with it before I go proceed with the design. So, for me, it's a new way of designing that I'm kind of on my own as such. But yeah, so like my idea is that people can go online, buy it on my website. At the minute, everything's being handmade to order. So, there is a few weeks of waiting once you do purchase the item of jewelry. But yeah, at the minute, I've got like five designs of rings and I've made all the types of them and they're happy with them and now I'm moving on to the earrings for each ring so I'm just finalizing materials. I do want them to be precious jewelry that is cherished for generations so in my mind I'd like them to be made in gold at least gold and and give the option of platinum or 18 karat gold but um, at the minute I'm I'm going to offer them in, in nine karat gold so like I want my jewelry to be passed down through generations so I kind of placed my sentiment on the jewellery then the wearer will add their story and then hopefully they pass it down to their child or grandchild or friend or whoever and then they can add their story onto it and say oh this is my granny got this whenever she had had a bit of a rough year and my grandad bought it for her or her sister got it for her, you know like this wee this wee symbol is a symbol of hands for friendship and so on so then they can't wait to get it whenever their fingers are big enough or their granny's ready to pass it on or whatever so that's important to me.
1: Similar to your Swings and Roundabouts collection, will there be a casting
2: element to these? There will be a casting element to some pieces and then I will be adding to each piece and making the pieces. So, for example, the tiny crown ring, I call it, which is part of the clatter ring set, has a granulated where I call them like little gold nuggets and they're all joined specifically in a way so that they slot into the heart whenever the heart ring is worn with the crown ring so it took an awful long time for me to work out the logistics of that piece of the ring and to make sure it sat flush with the heart and also looked well on its own so that part of that ring is cast and then once it comes back to me I clean it up and then I make the rest of the band to fit the size of finger that's required with it so yeah there are casting elements in it and then traditional goldsmithing techniques as well and then I just I set all the stones myself and uh, obviously finish the finish the piece off then to whatever texture I have on the piece of jewellery.
1: I love that there are pieces in this collection that are attainable But you can add to your own collection over time with the more luxurious pieces. Was that intentional from the very start?
2: Yeah. That's what I always like. And I think that that's what we like with the fact of Painted Earth. You know yourself, you go into a shop sometimes and you really want to buy something, but it's all very expensive. Like you want to be a part of something, but you can't afford the most expensive thing in the shop. But, you know, that kind of way. Like, so it's nice to have entry level for, for people so that they can buy into you as a maker or you as a brand or whatever it is. You know, so like, for example, with Painted Earth, you can go in and buy a card. Or you can just come in and have a look and come back later or whatever. But you can come in and buy a card for one fifty or £2 or £3. But there's also paintings that, are that sell for six, £700, you know. So you can be a part of something that you really admire and without having to invest your whole savings in something that you can't really afford. So the same thing, I suppose, for me is that I like to give options that, yeah, oh, they might really like my jewellery, but they can't afford the platinum ring. But yeah, they might be able to afford one of the, a pair of gold earrings or something like that. It's making it achievable for people yeah that want to invest in artwork
1: it's hard enough running an independent business at the best of times especially during lockdown as well it's not going to be easy how reliant would you say the goldsmithing practice is in your business towards painted earth or are they completely two separate entities
2: having painted earth has really allowed the public to have a conversation with whoever's working in the shop about the studio upstairs and the goldsmithing process so it definitely has we always call it like the the doormat for upstairs if that makes sense so people can kind of come in and and say like, oh, what? Like, cause we would have like a banner downstairs um, saying like jewelry, wedding, make your own wedding rings. And then people would ask, oh, what, what is this? And like, what does that mean? And stuff like that. And then uh, whoever's working in the shop, whether it's myself or Gemma or, or, or anybody else, it would be like, right, well, this is what it involves. And, you know, and then they'd be like, oh, class. And we give them a card. And, you know, you might hear from them in a couple of months time or they might book an appointment there and then. So it really does, ha- does lend itself. Uh, that way, to rather than being in a building tucked away in a like without having a public access, so I've kind of got the best of both worlds, if that makes sense. Like I've got like a private studio where I can just get on with my work, but I also have somebody downstairs talking about it for me without being interrupted.
0: <laughs> and then, what would be your favorite process during the making process? Is it that you like meeting clients and the designing element of it, or is it kind of you know you just stick on the The Making Conversations podcast and just work away?
2: (laughs) Definitely the Making Conversations podcast and work away, Robin. (laughs) Are there any other podcasts? (laughs) No, not for me. (laughs) (laughs) I have to say there's a place for everything. I absolutely love designing. And I, I suppose like one of my unique selling points to me is that I love to put people's stories into their rings without it being too obvious so i find that like a nice challenge so for example if somebody brings me their wedding their father's wedding band and their father's passed away and they want to use it like my, th- my i always encouraged the clients not to melt it down because you would have to melt new gold into the old gold and the old gold would be lost so i always like to make a feature of the sentimental piece of jewelry, and whether that was making the old gold into like wire and making that into the setting for the for the diamond or something like that to be set in, so that their father was holding their stone, or whether it was like making wee gold nuggets out of the old gold so that you could say oh look there's where my dad's ring is and this is my new part of my journey so that was always that's very important to me and and I love the kind of challenge of of designing new ways that that can be done with the clients so I do love designing I also love making I love putting on music or sometimes just love the silence and just really getting stuck into making probably soldering is my most favorite part or setting stones i absolutely do not have the patience for cleaning up if i'm being honest <laughs> even though i, did, it <laughs> <Yeah>. oh, I <laughs> do it it just takes forever yeah oh i still do it still yeah i think it's just the pressure of having something finished that sometimes yeah. the cleaning process just feels like it lasts a lifetime. Like if you want to get a good polish on your ring, you are gonna like have to sand it down until you can see your reflection before you even polish it. And that's came from my previous employment. You know, like we had quality control that would have sent back a ring that you couldn't even see the scratch marks on and said that's not polished to standard and you'd have to go back and repaper it and polish it up. So somebody mightn't be able to see what I can see in the ring and I would go back and refinish it again. So yeah, I suppose uh, like within any craft there's always like a love-hate. There has to be a love-hate element in some shape or form. Like I'm sure Gemma, I don't know that much about ceramic techniques, but I'm sure there's there's that same kind of uh, feeling for part of your making process as well
1: oh yeah definitely especially because you have to rely so much on the kiln you're putting something that you've made and you've made all like every little aspect of and you're putting it into the kiln and then in that time frame which is enormous it could just suddenly (laughs) explode it could crack you're suddenly like oh right okay there is a reason why I've made 20 others (laughs) you know um so
2: (laughs) yeah you can't
1: just you can't just um, put all your love and soul into one object because yes. yeah, it's it's the same. But yeah, so I I'm...
2: the intensity of it is just overwhelming sometimes. I think it's the same with the cleanup then. It's like, you know, you spent all this time designing and fabricating and if you just don't get the cleanup right, like it just looks like rubbish, I think. So oh, it's a nightmare. <laughs> Why do we do it? <laughs> <I know.
1: laughs>
0: and so obviously you've taken a really unique journey to get where you are when it comes to selecting new makers to join the shop or anything like that what gets you excited when you see a piece of craft you know what are you like oh look at that that's amazing we have to have that
2: it's the the maker's passion as well you know adds a lot to that like what really gets us going is that if we really you, we have to buy into the the maker as well as their product especially because we'll be selling their product at the end of the day so if we don't believe in the maker then we don't believe in the product and therefore it makes it a very difficult sell and we just actually just don't take somebody on that we don't necessarily i don't mean on a personal level like we yeah. <laughs> i don't mean like it has to be like a personal relationship or anything like that but um yeah if somebody comes into us and aren't really interested in the shop but want us to sell their work or um like we don't mean like kissing our behinds or whatever like but i just mean you know you have a respectful kind of relationship and you can feel their passion for their work and their belief in their own work is very important so that really kind of excites us and if somebody comes in with a new color i suppose i go back to like dirty kerrigan i don't know whether you use like know her work or not yeah Yeah, like it's unreal like her colors excite me you know and her like blobby forms like i like i like have like a certain cup in my house from her that i only use for coffee like i don't it's too small for tea you know you need a mug for tea but i'll have like a small cup of coffee in it and nobody else is allowed to use it you know (laughs) that's fine um and, like, Ray, he has, like, a castle arch one that's, like, such a completely different shape than mine. And that's what he uses for his tea, you know? Like, so there's different things which is really good that, like, really, you know, gets all of it. Like, Gemma, myself and Ray, like, we've got, like, different... Um, opinions on different things so like there's some things there like we went down to showcase in Dublin and Gemma came with us for the first time and it was really good because she's seen things that we wouldn't have looked at and vice versa she was like oh my goodness honey are you actually gonna like bring that up to the shop and I was like yeah I can really see that selling and then like and we would let her choose something too and at the end of the day it's our business but at the end of the day like she knows the customers as well as we do yeah. so and she's very much in tune with that like so yeah there's there's so many elements whether it's the making you know the the forms the shape the scale yeah there's there's like the commercial potential of it as well like you know because we can't sell something that's too arty yeah you know in part of Mm -hmm. commas like because it just that's not what our shop is about whether we we would love to do that but it just it has to at the end of the day like it has to make money for us too so um
0: And so would you have any advice for makers, either in terms of what you've learned as a maker or what you've learned as a shop owner? What do you think has been a really good piece of advice, either you've heard or something that keeps you going whenever you're having like a really difficult project or something like that?
2: I suppose with regards to if for a shop owner if anybody's thinking about going into retail as such or for anybody that's going to present to a retailer is to think with your business head and not your like your personal head you know if that makes sense like it's it's two different things um you know like you might create something that you really love but who's your market you know like who are you targeting with this is it tourism or is it the art sector is it collectors or or is it you know something that you can see people drinking out of every day if it's a vessel or like jewelry are you going to make like massive chunky heavy jewelry how many times you know is somebody going to wear that or you know will any what's the expense of producing that piece of heavy jewelry or is it something lighter and and more Wearable, you know. So is it exhibition pieces or or is it selling pieces? So I suppose that goes for a maker as well. Like, are you making consciously or or are you making for yourself, you know, or are you making for for a specific market? And suppose, kind of looking at that myself at the minute with regards to this uh, new brand, Tanya Ireland Limited, and the reason I wanted to start it was because I wanted to make jewelry that I was creating the design like process for rather than always working towards a client's brief i wanted to create my own brief and go back to you know the like cultures and societies that really inspired me throughout my university journey and i want to bring that into my work again and and what way am i doing that am i doing it by creating you know the big chunky neck pieces again or am i going back to rings or am i going to create a whole collection of jewelry so these are questions you need to ask because if you don't i think you could spend your life not really having any direction and not really knowing where your work should be pointed to like i don't think there's any right or wrong answer you know If you can, like I know, for example, this COVID-19 give me the opportunity to fill out grants. There's some people out there that are really clued in and experienced at applying for grants that allow them to create artistic pieces of work or to go down that line that really supports them in that line of work. And then there's other people like myself who have very little experience in applying for grants and I've never really taken the time to see what is out there if I'm being honest I just haven't had the time because I know like grants application forms are absolutely you know intense and and take a long time to fill out and there's a knack to it too um so I just haven't done anything like that in, in a long long time so I suppose my business always supported me financially as well you know so and my products always sold because i had a client that that was buying them yeah so i think that's my uh, answer is just to be conscious of of, of who you are as a maker uh, and what you are offering
0: and um, you were saying earlier about fate had played a part and things turned out the way that they have due to other things that have changed in circumstances and things like that do you feel your business has changed much as a result of being you know a new mum or do you think you'll have to change your business drastically? Because of COVID, or I mean, I know you're also doing this while starting a new jewelry line, so
2: hundred <laughs> mile do? an hour as per <laughs> usual. Okay, so yeah, being a new mom really shook shook it up because I had never really considered it before. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know the realities of becoming a mother was going to be like so demanding <laughs> in a good way, but um yeah, it just meant that I had to seriously rejig the jewelry side of it because. Um, I decided that I wanted to stay at home with Ophelia for most of the week. So Ophelia gets minded uh, two days a week. And then if I have a workshop on, then she... Well, Ray has her at the weekends and whenever I, I do the workshop. So that's how we work it as a family, which works great. I've I really enjoyed the balance then of having two or three days at work and then either three or four days at home. And just for us personally as a family, we just felt that, that like that's what we could manage. We have a great team in the shop. So... The girls, Orla at the time, my sister was working for us as well, uh, and Gemma. So they just were really, really great. And Ray does a lot of the behind-the-scenes accounts and cash flow management. And then I would uh, really liaise with the, the employees in the shop. And But I wasn't working in the shop at the time anyways. I was upstairs doing commissions. But then when Ophelia arrived, I just cancelled all my commissions. A few months afterwards, I just decided that they just weren't right for me at the time, even though they, they were great income uh, support for our family. We just had to make a life choice, uh, a mm. lifestyle choice, I think is very important too. Um, you have to really think about like what what way do you want your life? And I just kind of thought like in three or four years time, like she's going to be away to school. Like, so if I want to, I can pick them up again, but hopefully this new business venture will succeed. <laughs> but yeah, so the shop, yeah, we just had have such a good team, right? There's a lot of behind the scenes work and um, I would, I would float basically. I would do like a lot of the, all of the wages and human resource management kind of side of things. Yeah. So that was that and then with covid if i'm being honest we probably should have pushed online a bit more but we really just took this as an insane opportunity to to just breathe for a bit to really yeah. th- ray uh, my husband he ha- uh, works full-time he's a dr- director of mental health charity my my down this area so he was still working five six times six days a week so really it was myself and and Ophelia and just considering the shop and trying to really push online just logistically didn't work which I just really just engaged with her uh spent the time with her and then any free time I had I suppose selfishly worked on my new brand so to really, I just thought like if I really wanted to take a new direction in my jewellery like this free time without having the shop to think of on top of it all was it was the only time I was going to get to really think about like what way I wanted yeah I wanted to go with with my jewellery
0: so what do you do being the busy woman that you are to unwind
2: I go to CrossFit and blow off some steam <laughs> so it's a it's a gym yeah so but they you go for, it's literally an hour long it's like less than a minute away from my house and really? they go and they have classes that are completely structured for you so you don't have to think about what you're going to do you just go there and be told what to do for an hour and uh yeah it's great it's a great bunch of people that go to it everybody's in the same mind frame that they're just going to go and blow off a bit of steam Uh, you get to do loads of or try to do loads of different cool things like skipping and pull-ups and like do a bit of weightlifting, which I never thought I'm like tall and lanky for anybody that that doesn't know me so lifting a weight (laughs) you would not think I done but um, yeah it's good fun so that's what I do to blow off some steam I'm also surrounded by absolutely stunning parks Tullymore Forest Park Castlewellyn the beach in Newcastle the mountains so I'm really really fortunate that I can like Ophelia and I go for walks most days
0: and do you find that recharges you is that where you kind of get your extra energy from because you do work so intensively
2: yeah definitely i suppose ray helps me relax too he's like kind of like when it, once it comes to maybe seven or eight o'clock at night everything's chill out time don't try not to talk about work anymore especially yeah. um, as working as a as a couple together too your kind of days drift into nights and you're you're still chatting about the business and stuff like that which is great yeah when when i met him i suppose whenever we moved in together i remember one sunday afternoon i was busy cleaning the house or something after coming home from work he went to put the tv on at like three o'clock in the afternoon to watch a hurling match and I was like uh, what are you doing like tv doesn't go on until like you know the nighttime. like that's just the way I was brought up and he's like, would yeah. you ever just come and sit down and chill <laughs> out for a minute? And I like, and the first few times I've done it, it felt so strange. Whereas now, yeah, you have to learn to relax a little bit. Sometimes I'm better at it than others. Yeah, definitely walking, recharges. And a lot of people ask me, like, am I not inspired by, by nature? You know, am I working on it because you're surrounded by such beauty? And the answer is no, because I love to just like go there and enjoy the beauty and the nature for what it is and that's just me personally and I actually find that I can process my thoughts a bit you know better in nature and and, you know like a design might come I might be like oh yeah that there clicks in well with that kind of thing like and rather than I don't see I can never reflect it just doesn't come naturally to me to to bring you know like the sea or the forest or whatever it is into into my work it just just doesn't happen for me
0: and then I suppose the final question that we always ask as you know what is the last piece of locally made craft that you've bought for yourself or as a gift so not because you're a retailer not for the shop
2: Ooh. not from the shop Ooh. not from the shop Oh, reach <laughs> I don't it's get It's your out own
1: personal often. little shop,
2: isn't it? Just yeah.
1: yeah. Just go oh, down yeah. and,
2: yeah. Even there on Mother's Day, Ray was like, what do you want? And I was like, oh, I'd just love something from the shop, which I've never done. Like, he's never <laughs> got me anything from the shop. And yeah, everything cheapers. So oh, I'm on the spotlight. I'm sure I've bought something up in St. George's Market lately. Um, oh it doesn't have to be it can be edible can't it it doesn't have to be yeah, I yeah I've heard Zara <laughs> in the last thing she was giving on about these homemade bakery <laughs> <laughs> every time we go up to St George's market there's an unreal gluten-free uh, cake stand or dessert stand I couldn't tell you what the name of it is oh,
0: but... is that check out my buns
2: Yes, I think so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so her stuff is absolutely unreal. So, yeah, a Snickers or a Carmeletta, I think it's called, are mm-hmm. absolutely insane. Her brownies are insane as well. So, yeah, we love to go up to St. George's Market and take in, soak in the atmosphere and the music. I can't wait for it to open again to go get the head shard. I know, I, I, know, I suppose I couldn't say my shop because then I'd be like advocating everything that's in it. That's that's well, fine. we already
0: know that you love everything that's in there. Of selling it so (laughs) I was trying to figure out how obviously if
2: anybody
0: anybody, uh, is listening and hasn't seen Tanya's wonderful stuff you can get it online but also in person is the best place to go and soak up the whole vibe and atmosphere of such a beautiful retail space thank you so where can people find information about painted earth about yourself uh the commissions that you were doing and the new tanya ireland limited
2: for painted earth you can we have a website uh www.paintedearthgifts.com you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram Painted Earth and you can see all of my previous commissions and stuff on, on, on the social media there and then I am launching my new website is tanyaireland.com in August so that will be up and running and f- in the meantime you can follow me on Instagram uh, at tanyairelanddesign and I've just started a Facebook page as well.
0: Oh very exciting. Well I'm very glad I know now what to bring down next time I pop down to see you. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs>
2: pre- novela- Carmeletta, I think it's Carmeleta, called. Carmeletta, yeah.
0: good to know. <laughs> well, thank you so much for uh, having a chat with us, and I hope I get to see you soon. And yeah, everything goes back to normal pretty quickly, but in like a really good and positive way.
2: Yep. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Tanya, for a brilliant insight into your practice and life running painted Earth as well. Thank you also to the Arts Council of Northern Ireland who, if any, supported our second series with their Artist Emergency Programme.
1: For our next episode, we are making conversations with Potter Bob Belshaw, whose episode we can't wait to share on Thursday, the 13th of August 2020.